answers. Full service, local banking with someone who actually knows what it's like doing business here. Plus, it doesn't hurt that our main offices are nearby and with doors wide open, like a true local. With an array of services to fit your needs, no one works harder to make your business go far. Union Bank. Stay local. Go far. Visit us at your local branch or go to ublocal.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. Thank you, Jim Condon. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. A little late rain out there this morning. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us, but nice and warm out there. And hey, you know, all the flowers need a little bit of water. So do we, huh? Coming up on the program this morning, um, do you need a new job? We have just the person here to give you some advice on that. We'll uh, be kicking off our discussion with Martin Yate in just a moment. He is the author of Knock em Dead. He now has his uh, 740th edition of this book uh, now out. We'll also be taking... That was a joke. Uh, I like Martin, so you, you're, I'm going to be busting on the poor guy a little bit this morning because... Um, well, you know, we tease people because we like them. We uh, will also take your phone calls. No, he's a very serious guy. Great information to pass along. And we would welcome your calls at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. Toll free, you can reach us at 877-291-8255. I was telling Mark before we went on the air, the only reason that I have him back on the program is because of the wonderful gifts that he sends after each and every interview. Martin, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning. I don't think this is an NPR station, is it? No. I was all ready to talk quietly and with big words. Hi, Mark. Good to be with you. And, and no, I'm too cheap to send gifts and too unorganized. <laughs> no, you can be loud. You can actually untuck your shirt. And, uh, you know, if you need to excuse yourself to, to go and do something, we that's okay, too. <laughs> so let me, uh, let's begin here with um, your qualifications. Is that okay? Uh, such as I have them, yeah. Okay. Because you've been doing this now some 35 years, which is just a ridiculously long time for doing this. And I saw in your book here that you are regarded by many as, quote, the father of modern career management. Let's chop down yeah. that cherry tree. Who who are the many that have declared you the father of modern career management? Well, um... Besides, you know, your family. In uh, I, I've done 17 books on career management. Uh, in 82 domestic editions, and a new domestic edition of a non-fiction book is 25% new information. My books are in print in 62 foreign language and 62 foreign language editions, and some of them have been in print 30 years. And this is press and media and the people in in um, the career services industry. With all these books, with all these years, you know, they say anyone can write a book. All you need is the lack of a, a social life. Well, I've written 17 of them and many editions of them. And over the last 35 years, I've slowly evolved a new approach to career management that doesn't start with follow your bliss and <laughs> just be yourself. And if you lost this job and they sent it to Mumbai, well, just go to college and get in debt again and follow your new bliss and get a nice shiny new job until they fire your ass again. Um, so I've developed a new approach to this and uh, it's the first new approach to um, career management uh, that has happened since... Uh, 
the days of get a job, start at the bottom, hang on with ten fingers and ten toes, and if you lose one, hang on with nine, because over the years you'll gradually increase in uh, responsibility and salary, and at the end of the day you'll retire with a house in town, a house at the lake, and golly gosh, your yacht will be bobbing at the end of the dock, and that don't work no more. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't need to be so sensitive about the question. <laughs> so what is your approach? I mean, you know, there are a ton of people, Martin, that write these books, as you know. They, and many yeah. of them say, you know, many of the same things. You know, make sure you, you brush your hair before you go to the interview and don't immediately ask how much, you know, the job pays, that kind of thing. So why, are your, why have your books been successful? I mean, you have sold five million books. Yeah, and that's a few years ago. They've been successful because they're very, very practical. We've had a rule since the very first book, uh, and when we published the first book, I had this rare, one of these rare moments of uh, enlightenment, and I went, no one comes to this book for a good read. They go to Agatha Christie or Michael Crichton for that. They come to my books because the bloody roof's fallen in on their life. So there has to be something actionable on every page. Now, that's what sets every page different. It's really practical. Um, but what I've done in the approach to career management is in all these books are all about practical topics, but in every one of them, I weave a new approach to career management in it. And it's this. And it's very simple, Mark. You know, we all think about getting a new job and how will I get on at this company? And, and we suffer from sex discrimination and race discrimination and age discrimination and wage discrimination and by the time you hit 50 if uh, whatever your sex or race you're hitting them all right <laughs> and we all get pushed out of the workplace at this point and my approach is stop being pushed around stop putting the company first stop not having a life start regarding yourself as a financial entity that has to survive for 50 years start thinking of yourself as martin inc mark inc me inc and start behaving like a company and putting your survival and success first and that's a completely revolutionary approach and when i first brought this up on radio and television on a tour in 95 1995 i was called a communist and a socialist and get to, to get the hell out of america and back to where i came from if i didn't believe in the american way and I believe wow. in the American people, and I write to have a decent standard of life. And we've had 20 years when the guts have been torn out of the middle classes, the working classes of America. Yeah, they won't even use, I was reading a piece yesterday in the New York Times, politicians don't even use the term middle class anymore because it doesn't really exist. There isn't one. <laughs> there isn't one. <laughs> So when you say that people should be, uh, we're talking with Martin Yate, he's the author of Knock Em Dead, uh, it is a, uh, the ultimate job search guide. So what do you mean when you say that people should behave like a company? What does that mean? I mean, you know, a company to survive operates in a certain way. And, and, and almost everyone listening today has, has had an employer say to them, you know, so, sorry Joe, got to let you go. It's nothing personal, it's just business. Mm -hmm. And we go... I said Sherlock. Um, yeah, yeah, it's nothing personal. Of course it's personal. Uh, they could have told you five months ago there were going to be layoffs. They don't. And the reason they don't is they want you, they want you given 110% until the last possible moment that right. they throw you on the scrap heap. Right. And I'm saying we need to put our future first, which means operating like a company. And a company has every job. Every department in every company helps that company make money, save money, keep money, and increase productivity. 
that's what every job is helping to do in some way. And because of that, we have a sales department, a marketing department, a public relations department, a research and development uh, department, a strategic planning department, finance department. I'm suggesting we do the same thing. Let's be one of those finance department. Instead of going home and watching five hours of television and absorbing 2,000 sales messages a day and living up to your income instead of up to your future, stop buying this rubbish and start investing yourself in a path that will make you financially secure over the years. Every day we wake up and we work for a span of 50 years on average. Every day we wake up on the right side of the grass. We've got nothing better to do than to work towards our own success rather than sacrifice our lives to someone else's success and then go home and watch five hours of TV and watch life whiz by on the silver screen. Wow, what a dreadful life you just described there. Well, uh, that's what we say. If you get, you know... <laughs> People believe this this rubbish about follow your bliss, and they get a job, and uh, uh, then they, 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 they're just themselves, and then they get another job, and pretty much like the first, and the third that was just like the second, and they get to 35 or 40, and they come to me, they come to our coaching business, our resume writing business, and they say, you know, my classmates, all I can see is their heels in the distance. What happened to my career? What happened to my goals and my plans? And I say, you didn't have goals and you didn't have plans. You had hopes and dreams and you didn't do anything about them. Huh. You know, you have to pursue a career in this day and age. No one's, you know, when we grow up, everyone picks up after us. <laughs> and, and, and then we get yeah. out of college and we cross that last bridge into adulthood. And we say, yeah, I'm free. I'm free, man. Mark, I'm free. And yeah, Mark, it's great. You're free. You're completely independent. And guess what? Do your own No laundry. one yeah. cares what happens to you anymore. <laughs> Success or failure, it's up yeah. to you, pal. So you better grow up and smell the coffee. Of course, a lot of people are staying home after college. So I don't know about oh, that. Oh, yeah, especially. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah, this is a really smart idea. Graduate from college and then take the next four months off mm -hmm. for your last summer and then go into a job search frantically before Christmas with the, what, million and a half, two million other graduates? Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's go in the stampede, guys. <laughs> That's exactly what I did in 1980. It was in the early 80s. It was a different era. Well, you know, I did the same thing, Mark. But, you know, mm -hmm. we, we get smarter and there was no one anywhere saying don't do it. Right. Right. Talk about this idea that people follow their hopes and dreams. You talk, you've, you've ranked on this idea of following your bliss often enough here that Joseph Campbell might come back out of his grave to strangle you. So, what, so how are you supposed to figure out what your job, your mission in life really is? Look, some of us uh, uh, are born to be rock and roll stars. And there's a, there's a, there's a point one hundred of... 0.100% that actually make it. <laughs> okay. There's an awful lot of people that stay too long at the party trying to make it work. Right. But if you look at the people who really make it in life, the writers, the painters, the musicians, the sculptors, the business owners, they did something different. They invested themselves in their lives and they pursued what we call, and what I got, got me called 20 years ago, a communist and a socialist, um, Parallel careers. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of a guy called Harrison Ford? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a movie star. He's like the first or second or third biggest in the history of the movies. Uh-huh. Do you know what he did before he was a movie star? Oh, wait a minute. Come on. I've got a guess here. Let me see. Uh... Can you give me a hint? Was it a service-related job? 
No. Alright. A trade. A trade. Okay. Uh he was a carpenter. That was it. If someone would told you that. <laughs> he was a he was a finished <laughs> carpenter in Hollywood. Okay. Right? He had a trade. All right. He makes damn good living okay. while he was struggling to be an actor. Alright. You know, I'm a very small example. But, you know, I've made a living as a writer, uh, as a non-celebrity writer for 30 years. They reckon there's about 1,200 people in the country that do that. But before that, I had a full-blown career. I was at the director level in a publicly traded company. And I just worked on my writing for 20 years at nights, at weekends, in airports and hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I invested myself in my life. So what we need to do is, get, let's get real about life. You've got to, why do people... Have, have these great ideas in their teens, they try it, it fails, and then the grown-ups around them say, well, Mark, you had it go, son. Now it's time to fold up those dreams and put them under the bed and get real. Right. And that's what we all do. Right. Well, what we should do is, you know, you heard of Dow Chemical? Yeah. Biggest chemical company yeah. in the world. Uh -huh. The founder, Henry Dow, went personally bankrupt five times getting that off the ground. Okay. So what we need to do is it, we fail because we don't have experience of how business works when we're young. So let's get a core career job. It's still the safest part, path to middle class security and success, even though it isn't secure anymore. And let's have that job and give the company we best, the best we can uh, and become the best we can at our jobs. And at the same time, whatever our dreams are, whether it's of a business, um, you know, or becoming a bass player in the band, we should invest ourselves in those. And those ideas will fail. And, uh, you know, if we keep going at it, we learn from our failures, not from our successes. And eventually, we'll have one of these things that will start to make a buck. And every buck we bring in our own front door releases the stranglehold of the corporation just a little bit. And if we stick with it long enough, gradually we'll build a side hustle that has a steady income. I know an accountant. Um, uh, started fixing clocks because she'd learned how to do it from her, her grandfather, the jeweler. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, five years five years later, she had an antique store. And I hadn't seen her in ten years and saw her ten, uh, uh, two years ago. Um, she drives a BMW 5 Series. She's an accounts receivable clerk during the day. And she has this whole other life in the arts and antiques community and drives a much better car than any other antiques receivable clerk in New Jersey does. Right? We invest ourselves in what gives joy to our life, and if we really work towards it by investing ourselves in things we want to do that could bring a buck in the front door, we're going to be more successful over the long haul. And if we do it, basing it on a core career in a corporation, doing the best we can, and also using it as on-the-job training for how do companies work, mm -hmm. what can I learn from these guys that could help one of my ideas be successful? Mm -hmm. Because our ideas do change over the years. All right, but how is this not, in some variation, following your bliss? Because following your bliss... I mean, you really wanted to be... You really wanted to write. You want to do and do it until you get there. That's why... Now, there's honor in all work, I must say that. But that's why if you go out to dinner in New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles, you're going to get a lot of waiters in their 50s who, if you spoke to them and asked them what they did outside of that context, they'd say, I'm a musician, I'm an actor, I'm mm -hmm. a painter. Mm -hmm. They stayed too long at the party. 
and they're still waiting tables in their 50s. And God bless them, I don't mean to be rude to anyone at all, because those are all fields that I love. I mean, I am the world's worst bass player. I really am. I still do it. I have a huge collection of bases. I make terrible noise, but I love doing it. I was just smart enough to realize I wasn't going to make a profession of this. Right, right. You know, so we need to get realistic. Yeah, that's my bliss. That's what I want to do. But you know what? I'm a grown-up. I've got to put food on the table and a roof over my head. So let's look at the industries that are big and stable and that are driven by demographics. And let's look at what the options are for me. And, and, and let's try and look. Let's be a bit non-traditional and look at jobs that they can't export or automate out of existence. And oh my gosh, you know what we come up with, Mark? Mm, tell me. The kind of jobs that they never told us about in high school where we had to go to university, we come up with jobs like electrician, plumber, carpenter, hairdresser. Now, you get to be full-grown with kids and you look around and the guys who have plumbing business, carpenter business, electrician businesses and their hairdressers, they drive the same cars, they go on the same vacations, and no one keeps them in a high-rise salt mine, and no one can take their jobs away. Right. Why are we not talking about this? You know, at high school, if your kid's not headed to college, they think it's an idiot, and they just ignore it. They're just ignored. We don't look at what the reality is of the world of work we live in in the digital age and that's what i try to do in the knock and dead books with the blow by blow things of in the, do this do that mm -hmm. so what i'm not clear though what are what are the what's the problem with the 50 plus year old waiters and waitresses it sounds like they're doing what they they're probably making pretty good money and they're they're doing that thing on the side that they love they're doing that thing on the side that they love, but I know these people because I'm a failed Hollywood movie star, Mark. <laughs> I went to Hollywood three times and couldn't get arrested. Oh. Right? I know these people personally. You want to stand on your feet for seven, eight, nine hours a day? <laughs> no, I fall into that category. I don't. Uh-huh. Right? I don't know anyone that does. And these people feel immense frustration. At what happened to my life? What happened to my career? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. wouldn't it have been better if they'd, they'd followed their bliss, but it had been as part of a more comprehensive plan? You know, I'm, I'm good with numbers. I could be an accountant, and they're an accountant, and they get a CPA, and they have their own CPA firm. And they're an actor on the side. They still go, they, they, they still go to uh, calls. They still do productions. Right. You know, a lot of people who really broke out, break out of the mold don't do it as a result of being on some TV show. Mm -hmm. They don't do it right out of school. <laughs> right, right. It happens as a result of the lessons they learn working in the corporate world. And if you leave it too long, you can't get in. Mm -hmm. You can't go for an entry-level position when you're 45 years old. Mm -hmm. Right. Or as I had someone try to tell me they were going to do, he's going to go for an internship at 65. Because mm -hmm. he just <laughs> got his CPA. You know, God bless the man. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend that he do? Well, what I recommended to that, that, that guy is you're not going to join one of the big accounting firms at your age because you just got a CPA. And he also had advanced mathematics degrees and he'd been a teacher all his life. It was a second career. Okay. I said, you're not going to suddenly climb the ranks of one of the big CPA firms. What you can do is you could get an internship or an entry-level job for a small local CPA 
right. that's looking for some additional staff. They may be a, a, a solo entrepreneur. They may have four or five employees. They may have 20 employees. You're going to look for a smaller local company because that's what's going to give you the best shot at getting a job, getting your foot in the door, and also making a place for yourself in the community. Right. Okay. So what was the reaction to that advice? Well, it was it was a bit of a blow that he wasn't going to be a major star in his later years in one of the world's big accounting companies. But then he said, yeah, you know, that probably makes a lot more sense. And given where he lived as well, there weren't not, not all of the big four had offices within two hours. Oh, I just, you don't really want to commute more than two hours unless you're in New York. I, I just am stunned that somebody would think they could get a CPA and all of a sudden they're going to be working for some major accounting firm. I mean, that, that takes some huts, Buck. Yeah, but yeah, as I was saying to you, you know, a CPA isn't about going to work for an accounting firm. A CPA is, you know, you you have a designate. No one asks whether you got it from the local community, from Acme School of Welding or from Harvard. Right. They don't care. Right. They wonder where your degree comes from, but not a CPA. A CPA allows you to go anywhere within America and open your own shingle. Everyone needs a CPA. Everyone needs one once a year to do taxes. Yeah. Yep. And there's lots of other opportunities. And I try to talk to people about you know, looking at what you do and seeing how you can leverage it in different directions. When we, I'm sorry. Go, you, you go ahead. When we, when we do resumes for people, which we've been doing for 25 years... The first conversation happens with me, and I talk about where do you want to be 10, 15, 20 years from now? What's the end goal? And once we know what the end goal is, and we have a fallback option in case we don't achieve that end goal, we then say, okay, if we want to go there in the long term, let's come back to today, and let's make sure that the next, the job, the next job, the job we write this resume for, is focused right for a job that you can land and will take you down your path, your chosen path, to your long-term goals. Mm-hmm. Everything should be focused on, on the long term. Now, our ideas change about every 10 years of what we value, what's important to us. And this has been written about in a number of books. Really? Is, uh, that, is that true? Really? Yeah. But, uh, you've heard of Gail Sheehy's Passages? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, she based that book on Levinson's Seasons of a Man's Life. Um, Levinson and three of his colleagues, and, and they followed a, a bunch of guys for many, many, many years. And, and they showed that very... very Fairly predictably, people's values changed about every seven to ten years. Uh, not their religious or political values, but what they wanted out of life. What they wanted to get out of life to make it worth living. And, and what Gail Sheehy did very cleverly was take this academic study of men uh-huh. and turn it in a, into a story that everyone could read. Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's what those, the, the, those two writers and authors are really talk about. They talk about the changing of the eras and how our needs for feeling happy and fulfilled change over the years. Mm-hmm. Probably. You know, like- I, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm an old guy, and if I, I look back to what I wanted to do when I'm 20, it's not what I wanted to do when I was 30, not what I wanted to do when I was 40, not what I wanted to do when I was 50. Things mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. How, uh, could you describe that for me? How did it change? For me? Mm-hmm. Um, at 20, I was on my third business at 20. <laughs> I was uh, a rock and roll producer, uh, and I was producing rock and roll shows. And the show that sent me bankrupt in England was a show called Wit Rock, which was a 24-hour non-stop rock and roll festival that they only ever had once before, and that was in London. And uh, that sent me over the edge. 
And uh, that was when I had my first reappraisal of what I was going to do in life. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, then I came to America. I, came, I went to Hollywood three times. Couldn't get arrested. Uh, I ended up in Silicon Valley with uh, a buddy of mine who'd come over with me. He was a major guitar player in England. And uh, I ended up getting this day job on commission as, a, as one of the early headhunters. And I didn't think it was going to pay me anything, but I couldn't afford to eat, and I was going to use their phones to learn how, to, and their training to learn how to get a job for myself. Eleven, ten days later, I got a check for eleven hundred and seven dollars, and this is nineteen seventy-three. Wow! And I went back to the apartment and said, "Phil, I don't want to be an actor anymore, man. Look at this money. We don't have to eat at the free or dogs anymore." Right. Right. Uh, so you... that, that was it. That was okay. Get real. Uh-huh. I, don't, I I was an awesome headhunter, Mark, and I'm known all over the world in that community. I hated it. I hated every moment of it. Wow. But I didn't have the option. I was an immigrant. I didn't know a soul. I had to do what I had to do to put food on my table and a roof over my head. And the older we get the more we realize that's what it's about. As, as a very wise man told me, one of the founders of the franchising industry in America, I was traveling with him one day, and he said, we were talking about money and success, and he said, you know, Martin, the millionaire who makes his money with an invention is no different from the millionaire who, makes, who made his money picking up rags, because you know why, son? They've both got a million bucks to play with now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. You know? But doing a job for so long that you didn't really like. Wow. Well, I, I, I didn't like it. I did it. I gave my best to the companies I worked for. I pursued entrepreneurial endeavors. And I gradually changed i gradually segued out of it i looked at how i was going to get out of it and the option for me came along when a, a headhunter called and got me an interview and a job offer at a franchisor of employment agencies i've been a trainer of a big chain and uh went to the interviews they went great they made me an offer it was half of what i was making mm-hmm. and i said they had a what do you think i should do man he said well you're going to turn the job down i mean that's an insult that's stupid I said, oh, no, I'm taking that job because I know more about this business than anyone at their headquarters. <laughs> and I took the job. I took an almost 50% pay cut, and that was in 1980. It was the best move I ever made because in 1985, my first book got picked up by a publisher, what is now known as the smallest advance in modern publishing history, $100, and I had to rewrite it. <sighs> and they begged for me to put my title on the cover to get them some publicity. Huh. And I said, yeah, if you, if you back a promotional tour, right, because the publisher wasn't only having invested $100 in it and thinking it would sell 100, 100 copies and go, right? right? And they paid for a seven-city national tour, uh, which I did, and, and, and they, they believed that it gave them a million dollars of publicity for the company. And uh, I leveraged what I was doing, I not only got out of headhunting, because once I was a trainer in franchising, I could become a trainer in any franchising company, and there's franchising in all industries, so I'd made two good moves. And while there, I had continued to pursue 
one of my dreams, which was writing. Mm -hmm. And I wrote all their manuals, and I traveled a lot, and I trained people, and I invested myself in writing. Mm -hmm. And I eventually got a book published from it, and that changed my world. That book you have in front of you, it's the 31st edition of that first book. It's still right. in print. You'd think I'd get it right after 31 editions. I know. I mean, seriously. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. We'll come back continue our discussion. Martin Yate is the author of Knock 'em Dead. It's, uh, as you heard him mention, in its 31st edition, the ultimate job search guide for 2015. We're going to um, focus on uh, some practical ideas here if you're actually looking for a job. We'll take a, a quick break. Back in just a moment. Lease a Chevy Volt for $249 a month with nothing down. With charging stations popping up all over the state, Vermont is committed to plug-in vehicles. And with the state's best selection of 2015 Chevy Volts, the new McMahon Chevy Buick in Morrisville is committed to putting them on the road. Hi, this is Steve Sace from McMahon. And I'm Matt Dever, sales manager at McMahon. The Chevy Volt is a totally unique extended-range electric vehicle that you can plug into your household outlet. For most drivers, the Volt lets you drive on pure electricity for your entire commute, then switches seamlessly to its gas power generator for extended trips. In fact, most Volt drivers who charge regularly go over 900 miles between fill-ups. Right now at McMahon, you can lease a brand new 2015 Chevy Volt with zero down for only $249 a month. We'll even waive your first payment. Wowzers! The new McMahon Chevy Buick on the corner of Route 15 and Route 100 in Morrisville. Come test drive a Chevy Volt today, America's number one best-selling plug-in vehicle. The new McMahon, we make deals the other guys won't. Offer applies to qualified buyers and current leases, tax title registration, and fees extra. Chevy, find new roads. Hi folks, this is Jerry Booth. In 1946, when my family started Booth Brothers Dairy, they knew the farmers and where their milk came from. In today's world, everyone is concerned about where their food supply comes from. At Booth Brothers, it's the same as it was in 1946. 27 local farm families who supply us with quality milk, produced right here in central Vermont. So ask yourself, do you know where your milk comes from? Remember, the next time you're in the dairy aisle, reach for Booth Brothers. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. That's right, partner. When I say draw, you draw. But if you say draw and we both draw, but technically that'd be a double draw because you know we're both drawing. Oh yeah, that's the point. We're both drawing. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there there I go. Speaking of double draw, the Vermont Lottery invites you to play Double Draw Dollars, where you could win $25 instantly. Now through May 16th, buy two consecutive Pick 3 or Pick 4 draw tickets, and you could win $25 right on the spot. Double Draw Dollars. It's double the fun. Please play responsibly. Take the guesswork out of shopping for a used vehicle. Hi, folks. I'm Dan Keene, owner of Lamoille Valley Ford. Customers tell us the one thing that scares them most about buying a used car or truck is ending up with somebody else's problems. That's why at Lamoille Valley Ford, we specialize in Ford Certified Pre-Owned Vehicles. You need to know a Ford Certified Pre-Owned Vehicle is a cream-of-the-crop used car or truck that has gone through a rigorous 172-point inspection, has a clean Carfax report, and qualifies for financing as low as 1.9%. Plus, folks, get this. A Ford Certified Pre-Owned Vehicle comes with a 7-year, 100,000-mile warranty with 24-hour roadside assistance. That's a better warranty than a brand-new vehicle for a lot less money. Now, currently at Lamoille Valley Ford, we have over 35 Ford certified pre-owned cars and trucks available for you in all price ranges. So drive Route 14, 15, or 16 to Hardwick and Lamoille Valley Ford. Get peace of mind when you buy a used certified pre-owned vehicle at Lamoille Valley Ford.
877-291-8255. is our local number. Toll-free 877-291-8255. We've been chatting with Martin Yate. He's the author of Knock 'em Dead. It is the ultimate job search guide for 2015. All right, let me ask you this. Um, so, Martin, how has uh, job looking for a job changed in the 35 years you've been doing it, or has it just not changed at all? Well, I hadn't invented the Internet when I was first published. <laughs> right, good point. <laughs> you know, and, and in 1995, I was retired. I was making so much money. And, and then the Internet came along, and uh, it's changed every job. And it's changed, it, it's destroyed industries, it's created new ones. And when it comes to careers, the, the biggest effect it's had is that all recruitment has moved online. I mean, you even go into a Walmart now. You don't fill out a form anywhere. There's a, there's a row of four or five computers along a quiet bit of wall. Mm -hmm. And that's where you fill out the application. Mm. So, you know, technology has, uh, is involved in every job. And uh, by making applications on computer, that screens out the people who aren't computer literate, of which there are very few anymore uh, because of the way the time moves. However, all recruitment has moved online. Um, and what used to be a two-line ad in the New York Times because space was important is now a three-page job description, a job posting on Dice or Monster or, or, or somewhere like that. Um, and this is... This has made recruitment easier and faster and more manageable for companies. Uh, it's changed the recruitment business, and it's also changed things for the job hunter. It changes the way we have to write resumes, the way we have to look for jobs. Everyone listening knows they've been told a million times, networking's the best way to get a job, and none of us networked because we're all too busy doing our jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we realize that we have to build networks and, and uh, sites like LinkedIn, especially for professional people, and, and, and Facebook and Google+. These become great resources for building job-specific networks. We don't want a network that's full of our, all our aunt and uncle, uncles from uh, uh, Hawaii or Alabama or wherever it is. The people we want in a professional network are the people who can help us today and tomorrow if we stay in this profession. Now, that means we want to connect with people who hold the same title as me, both with more experience and less experience. The people who hold job titles with whom I do business every week in, in the regular course of affairs. And most important, the people who hold job titles, one, two, and three levels above me, because those are the people most likely to have the authority to hire me today, and because of the way things work, five years down the road, when it's time to move again, these same three people are still probably going to be a little bit ahead of me and still be in a position to hire me. Right. So it's so sort of the same... These are the networks we want to build, can build, and should build. Well, that, but you know, that's been true for forever, isn't it? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yes, but, but the Internet, this chain, which is, which is what started this conversation, the Internet has made it much easier. Now you join LinkedIn. Everyone's heard of LinkedIn. 275 million members and growing. Half of those are in America. So we've already got almost half of the wow. white-collar workforce in America is on LinkedIn. That is amazing. Um, and, and, and you have their profiles. I put my profile up there. It's basically my resume, mm -hmm. although it, it's not quite 
presented the same way, but the facts are the same. They should be the same. And, and, and that's one thing, and we can become visible to recruiters that way. But then LinkedIn also has a lot, I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of groups. And, yeah, there's job hunting groups, and we have a job hunting group on LinkedIn. Uh, but more importantly, there are jobs for people in your profession. Sorry, there are groups for people in your profession. So you want to join the groups that are profession-related. As a member of a group, never having met you or heard of your name before, Mark, I can send you uh, an email through LinkedIn saying, hey, we're members of the same group. I'd love to connect. Mm -hmm. Most people are on LinkedIn to expand their networks because they realize that in a world without job security, having that, that people will help them through bad times much more will, than the measly layoff pay that a company gives them. So you think that's the motivation? I thought more people were on LinkedIn to try to get current business, you know, like basically, you know, sales for today. You're thinking more of the future? Oh, I think it's both. I mean, people use LinkedIn for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm not looking for a job. I'm on there. We use it to generate resume and coaching business. That's mm -hmm. what it's there for for me. Mm -hmm. If I was looking for a job, I, I'd be using it for that. But I would recognize that <clears throat> I am somewhere in the middle of what's likely to be a half-century work life. Statistically, I'm going to change jobs about every four years and three months. Sometimes of my own intent, sometimes not. I'm not recommending you change jobs every four years. The longer you stay with the company, the, the more you're likely to climb the ladder. <clears throat> um, but 50 years, uh, regular job changes. Yeah, if I need people to give me a lead in my profession, and, and, and you know, I live in Houston, and so I especially want people in Houston today, if I'm looking for a job three or four years down the road, it's probably going to be in the same industry, probably going to be in the same city, and I'll have all these people. Mm -hmm. And and you know what's nice? I, I, there's a guy I know. I say I know him, and I love him dearly. His name's Peter. Um, he lives in Connecticut. I met him once 12 years ago. Every month since then, you know those rude, crude, and socially unacceptable cartoons you get on the Internet? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, okay. I get one from him every month. And every month I look forward to the email from Peter because it takes me away from work and it makes me, invariably makes me crack up. Mm -hmm. And if ever Peter needed something, and he wrote to me and said, Hey, Martin, I wonder if you could help. I'm in a real fix. Mm -hmm. I tell you this, if I wasn't on the air with you, I'd clear the whole morning for him. Because mm. he's been good to me over the years. And, and with digital networking, you can do this. You can send, you can put on your electronic calendar when people's birthdays are and make sure you send them some good wishes at Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and, you know, all the other holidays. Yeah, you, you, can, you can take something you read that was of interest to people in your business and send it to everyone and make it seem personal. Wow. One cartoon a month and you can own Martin Yade. No, you don't even like look for cookies or brownies or anything? Hey, look, I'm a writer. I sit and stare at the wall for a living. I have no life whatsoever. You make me laugh. You're my pal. Okay. All right. All right. Let me uh, take a moment of your time, uh, our friends listening this morning, to remind you about our good friends at the Vermont Coffee Company. They're kind of on this same theme here that Martin is. That's all really about uh, it's coffee roasted for friends. And by that they mean... Go out and buy a couple of bags of this great product. Go home and brew up some and then invite somebody over to your house. I'll bet if you invited Martin Yate over to your house like 
once every six months, he'd probably pretty much, you know, be uh, willing to do your laundry and, and all the <laughs> raking in the yard. God, are you easy? So uh, make it our friends. Keep it easy. <laughs> and, you know, keep it simple, too. I like drinking my Vermont Coffee Company coffee black. You know, some people like to throw a little milk and sugar in. Are you a milk and sugar kind of guy? Yeah, little milk, little sugar. Okay. I like a cappuccino, a nice, strong cappuccino. Well, you might even like this product um, just straight up and kind of uh, bold and naked, as they say. So give it a try and uh, go to your favorite local independent grocery store, your favorite local co-op. And while you're purchasing it, you know, why not nookie up to the uh, general manager? You might need to work in that co-op someday. <laughs> Vermont Coffee Company Coffee, it is coffee roasted for friends. If you would like to join our discussion with Martin Yate this morning, you can at 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Ready for your easiest question of the morning? Uh, that, are you, oh, me. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be well, you. Well, as much as I'm ever ready. Okay. So, and I know this is one of those trite questions, but let play along with me uh, anyway. <laughs> biggest mistakes that people make going into a job interview are what? Thinking they are there to evaluate whether they want the job or not. What people don't realize is that, uh, given what I'm, uh, I'm saying statistically about you're going to be working half a century changing jobs every four years, you're also going to have three, three distinct different careers or more. That says that your most important skills in life are how to put a resume together, how to get a job interview, most importantly, how to turn a job interview into a job offer. Now, everyone listening, I'm willing to bet a buck that you have less experience turning job interviews into job offers than almost anything else in your life. Wow. Okay. Right? And yet it's the single most important skill we could have. Okay. So we've got to change our headset going, I'm not there to decide if I want a job or not. It doesn't matter with it doesn't matter if I wouldn't work for these people if they were the last company on earth. I am there to get a job offer. Now, what I tell you know what's in this uh, knocking back 2015. There's a chapter later on in the book called multiple offers, uh, uh, and I take this idea of it doesn't matter if you want the job, just get the job offer. And then later in the book, I say you know if you've got a job offer you don't want like this one, here's how you turn it into job offers you do want. Once you've got a job offer from this company from hell, right, you then reach out to everyone you've interviewed with or sent a resume to, and it would go, um, Dear Mark, this is Martin Yate. We met last Thursday at 2 o'clock for the second time, and we were talking about the position of uh, producer for your show. Um, I really enjoyed our meeting. The reason for my writing to you is I've just been made a very firm offer by one of your direct competitors, but I would hate to make the wrong decision if we had something further to talk about. You think it's worth us getting together again in the next couple of days? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's why if you look in the front of the book, there's pages and pages and pages of people saying, oh my God, I got a job. Oh my God, I got three offers. Oh my God, I got five offers. I can't believe this. This is how it's done. Do people respond well to that, though? Because part of me just responded a little negatively, like, who is this guy to be putting a gun to my head? I'm not putting a gun to your head. I said, we met. We've met twice. You were interested in me. Um, I'm very interested in you. One of your competitors has just made me an offer. 
Um, and I don't want to make the wrong decision. <laughs> I'm not putting a gun to your say. I'm no, not, no. absolutely not putting a gun to your say. No, no, no. I said, uh, one of your co competitors has made me a, a, a very firm offer. I would hate to make the wrong decision if you still had any interest. Is it worth us getting together in the next couple of days? That's not putting a gun to your head. That's using leverage. Okay. And the way psychology works is if no one wants Martin, no one wants him. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If Hank wants him, I want him. Right, and then everybody's going to want you. Okay. Yeah, and this is how it works. Right. This is how you create heat in a job search. It shouldn't just be a matter of, of getting one job, job offer and accepting it because it's a job offer. Mm -hmm. You need to execute uh, 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 the plan of attack for your job search so that you can generate a lot of interviews in a short period of time and turn one interview in, uh, one, one of those interviews into an offer and then use that as leverage to turn the others into offers and you choose what is best for you in the short term and with consideration for your long-term goals. This is how we learn to guide the trajectory of our career and guide our survival and success rather than letting life happen to us. You know, this information right here is like the, the nugget in the, the bag of stones that makes this whole interview worth it, don't you think? If you're a bag of stones, I'm Mark. You cut me to the core. <laughs> no. All right. You know it. Mean. You, you, so, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. You can only be as good as the host. You're a kick-ass host. That's you, right. You that's ask right. real questions. That's right. Uh, it's just very exciting to talk about these things with you. <laughs> uh, and I'll be, I'll be waiting for the gift afterwards. Yeah, I'll send you the cheap wine later. So um, how do you turn... I mean, I think you're right that a lot of people are sitting there in the job interview kind of fantasizing about whether this is the job for me. So how do you turn the job interview into a job offer? What's the trick there? Or the te well, number, techniques. You know, there's a lot of things. There's, there's half of this 385-page book, Knock and Dead 2015, that shows you how to do that. Yeah, 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 okay. But, but a, a <laughs> couple of quick nuggets is, you know, we make evaluations of people based on a couple of things. One, their, obviously, their obvious ability to do the job. And two, we evaluate people by the statements they make. All right. That's down to work. That makes sense. That sounds like a win back, right? And we also evaluate people by the questions they ask mm -hmm. because the questions they ask demonstrate their expertise and understanding of the topic. No one could listen to you this morning asking these questions and say, this is a guy who is not engaged because obviously this is a guy who is completely engaged in the subject matter. This is brilliant stuff. Are you talking about me or, me or you? You. Oh, and asking right. the questions. Okay. Asking the questions demonstrates your skills and ability just as much as the, st uh, as the statements you make. So what I'm saying is the job offer is a ritualized mating dance. And, and the best partners are the ones. It, it's not just answering the questions. If you have two candidates in front of you, Mark, and you ask one a set of questions and he answers and gives great answers... And the other one gives exactly the same great answers, but at the end adds a question of his own about that topic that shows deeper understanding. He, number one, makes a point from asking the question, and number two, he turns a one-sided examination of skills into a two-way conversation between a couple of pros with a common interest. Wow. Yeah. What a concept. And that's a good interview, and it's a good radio. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, kind of like, yeah, I mean, kind of the way pe people interact with each other in real life. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of what we're doing, actually. Right, right. We're, we're having this ritualized mating dance. That's right. We're going backwards and forwards. And it's I'm gonna... talking too much, by the way, never talk as much as I do. Never talk for two minutes without a visual or verbal signal from the interviewer that you should carry on. Because otherwise, you know, Mark, if he was thinking of hiring me, would look at me and say, never stops talking. He's on his best behavior. If I hire him, I'll never get a word in edgeways. Nice to meet you, Mr. Yate. Goodbye. And if you're an interviewer, sometimes you just shut up and let the other person keep going. And let them hang themselves. Mm-hmm. You, you can get a lot, uh, you know, the, the rule. I have a book called Hiring the Best, which is about employee selection and management. That, that book's been around 28 years. Um, uh, we, we, we say in there, if you're hiring people at a job interview, you should talk 20% of the time and listen 80% of the time. Huh. Because that's how you gather information. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. can't, at least, you know, most people can't do it while they're talking. They can do it while they're listening to what's being said and they're watching the body language and evaluating the dress and the other behaviors. You know, I heard a great one. The guy who runs Zappos, you know that company? Yeah. So this guy, he'll send a car for you for the job interview. And then he interviews the guy that drove you over and drove you back. And, you know, oh, some people are great in the interview. And it's, then they... it's, 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 it's great. But, you know, it, 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 if you look within the book, there's, there's a little line in there. And it's the same thing. Uh, and I learned this from someone I worked for many years ago. When you go into a company, you don't know who's who. I mentioned that franchise company I went to work for. When, when I worked for that franchise company, there's a little old lady at the front desk. What I didn't know was that she was the aunt of the founder. Uh-huh. And she, she had Sunday lunch with him every week. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you don't necessarily know who wields influence. So when you go to an interview, and, and we've all run across this, people who are snotty to folks who can't respond to service people. Yep. Right? Um, and to people of uh, uh, lower professional rank, uh, it's just insecurity and bloody rudeness. Mm -hmm. uh, but you want to watch this because you don't know who has the influence. And I can't remember the, the, the founder of Zappo's name, but that, that, that chauffeur may have been with him for many years. And they have, right. you know, those are two people who have a special relationship. Yep. That chairman has everyone tell him what he wants to hear. Maybe he developed a relationship with this limo driver where he realized, A, he wasn't so stupid, and two, he didn't always tell him what he wanted to hear. He had a real relationship with him. Well, it's a, the number of people this guy says he hasn't hired based on how they treated the chauffeur is, if <laughs> is just amazing. I, didn't, I, 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 I got married once because of that. Uh, my first date with this girl, we went to lunch in Manhattan, and my salad came, and somehow there was a big bloody staple in it from the from the packing case. All right. And uh, I, I called the waiter over, and I had it in my hand, and I said, you know, this isn't a salad. Do you think I could have a, a, another salad? And he took it all away and bought a new salad. And, and it was months later when, when um, the wife of that era said, you know, I, I was really watching to see how you handled that. Because she, she was an actress and a stunt woman. Uh, and she said, I can't tell you when I've been waiting table how rude people can be. Uh, I, I would never have seen you again if you were rude to that man. Wow. Wow.
And, and we have no right to be rude to people just because they're in a position that we know that they can't fight back. Mm-hmm. You know, we should treat all people with respect. There is, res- there is honor in all work. No matter what it is, no matter how humble it is, there is honor in work. Well, and, you know, fundamentally, nobody's better than anybody else. You know that. So you, on your anniversary, you always had like a little staple salad you put together and stuff? <laughs> no, we're no longer married. Okay. Yeah. That, that, was a, that, that was a prior ring. I'm on my last um, uh, uh, marriage now. I've run out of houses. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, how do you know when you should leave a job? Very good question. There's a number of things to watch out for. Um, number one, if there are storm clouds on the horizon, if there are rumors about a merger, or suddenly the lights aren't on in the parking lot at night, and there's other cost-cutting measures, they're cutting back on the coffee or the quality of the coffee, um, uh, or, or there's a bunch of suits around that you don't recognize that don't belong to the company, that says there's layoffs and mergers coming, and you don't want to be caught job hunting with 500 of your closest friends. Stampede, yeah. Right? Yeah. You need to get your resume up to date this year, and then just keep it up to date every year. Just learn how it's done. Be prepared. Um, if you are pursuing a promotion, you need to do it intelligently. That's not part of this conversation. It's something I address in a book called Secrets and Strategies. Um, uh, but if you're not getting a promotion and you're not going anywhere or you've got a new boss and the boss doesn't seem to like you and there's nothing you can do, the worst thing you can do is quit and look for a new job. It's much harder to find a job when you're unemployed. Mm. So no matter what your situation is, you can quietly execute a job search while you have that job. Most important thing here is when typically when we have made the decision, I'm going to leave these people, we're in effect firing them. Mm -hmm. They're not good enough for me. Psychologically, we stop working. And what I tell people is, you've got to protect the job you have. If you're going after a new job, until I resume clients, I told it to someone at 6 o'clock last night. You, you've got a job, you hate it, we're going to get you out of it, but you must do this. Number one, don't tell anyone what you're doing. Number two, you rededicate yourself to that job. You tell everyone how much you love it and how much you love the company. And you give everything the extra effort. It's going to make the time go better. It's going to give you more ammunition for your job interviews. And number three, it will throw them off the scent. <laughs> because if they think you're leaving... You know, uh, I had a C-level Microsoft guy come to me middle of last year. He said, look, I need to get out. It's got to be very fast. It's got to be very quiet because if they catch wind of it, they will take my stock options back. Uh, you know, yeah. you have to keep things, these things quiet. So it's, it's me, Inc. It's me Inc. treating this as a business and doing what's right for your survival and success. All right. I've got to wrap it up there. But thank you. It's always fun chatting. Let's do it again soon, all right? Hey, uh, wine's in the mail. All right. Thank you, my friend. Martin, Take care, Mark. Thanks, Mar- man. Martin Yate is the author of Knock Em Dead, FM 96.1 WDEV Warren, AM 550 WDEV Waterbury, Montpelier. News is right now.